There had been abuse in my family, but it was mostly musical in nature. lover's lament crap. I want something peppy, something happy, something up-tempo. I want something snappy. As critics, we're constantly name-checking our musical heroes. The only people who do that more are musicians themselves. I'm Greg Kai. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. We'll talk about great moments of hero worship and review the latest album from the Rolling Stones. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. Hey, hey, Woody Guthrie, I wrote you a song About a funny old world that's coming along Seems sick and it's hungry, it's tired and it's torn It looks like it's a dying and it's hardly been born. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. He's Greg Cott. And that is Bob Dylan from 1962, Song to Woody. Greg, a cornerstone of the Sound Opinions philosophy is that everybody's a critic. But everybody also is a fan. That includes musicians. Musicians started playing music because they loved music and they had certain heroes, right? And there's a tradition in rock and roll that goes back even long before Bob Dylan where a young musician will give a shout-out, a name-check, if you will, to a hero that he or she worships, writing a song about one of the people that was instrumental in giving them their start. We're going to go back and forth and play some of the greatest hero worship songs in rock history today. And I've got a good story to start us out. In my youth, way back when, I ventured across the river to CBGB to see one of my favorite bands in the early 80s, The Replacements, play on a Sunday night where they happened to share a bill with Alex Chilton, the legendary leader of Big Star. Alex had had nine lives. He had numerous career reinventions. This was at a point where he was realizing that many people in indie rock loved what he had done with Big Star. The replacements shared a stage with him, and I stood next to Paul Westerberg as he watched Chilton play. He became one of Westerberg's heroes. Chilton was a god to Westerberg. He was supposed to produce Chilton, the first Warner Brothers record by the replacements, Tim. But the whole plan fell apart. Eventually, he played a little bit of guitar on some of the songs on Please to Meet Me, but that album also featured Westerberg paying homage to his hero. Children by the millions sing for Alex Chilton when he comes around. They sing, I'm in love, what's that song? I'm in love with that song. Alex Chilton never sold millions of records, but as Westerberg said, I never travel far without a little big star. Here is The Replacements with Alex Chilton on Sound Opinions.
Chilton by The Replacements on Sound Opinions, my first hero worship song. Greg, what are you going to go with? I'm going to go with Van Morrison, Jim, who I think is the number one serial name dropper in all of rock and roll. This man's songs are just rife with references to his heroes. You know, you think of a song like Fair Play from Veed and Fleece, where he's mentioning all these authors that inspired him, Oscar Wilde, Edgar Allan Poe, Henry David Thoreau. In the song Cleaning Windows, he mentions Muddy Waters, Jimmy Rogers, Lead Belly, and Jack Kerouac. Countless references to the poet William Butler Yeats in his songs. In this particular song, not only did he name an artist within the song, but he actually titled the song after one of his heroes. And who doesn't love Jackie Wilson? Van Morrison sure did. As a youth growing up in Ireland in 1957, hearing Jackie Wilson's song, Rite Petite, The Sweetest Girl in Town, on the radio was an inspiring moment. Very influential song for young Van. Influenced his vocal style to a great degree. What he heard not only was the vast operatic range that Wilson had, but the exuberance that he brought to that particular song. And when Van is name-checking his heroes, there is no one more joyous, more exuberant. Because, you know, it's interesting, because Van has this reputation as kind of a cranky dude. But when he's singing about his heroes, man, all those inhibitions drop by the wayside, and he is in heaven. So it's appropriate that in this song, celebrating the power of love, ostensibly, a love that knocks him off his feet, he's equating it to the thrill of hearing Jackie Wilson for the first time. Jackie Wilson singing Rite Petite. And when this song opens, you cannot help but have a smile on your face. It's Van scatting along over these hand claps. Then the voice is joined by that jumping saxophone line. And you do feel like you're being lifted straight up to heaven when you hear this song. It's Van Morrison singing, Jackie Wilson said... I'm in heaven when you smile on Sound Opinions.
Van Morrison with Jackie Wilson said, I'm in heaven when you smile, name-checking one of his heroes. That is from 1972. Jim, what do you got next? Greg, if The Replacements' Alex Chilton was one of the best-known hero worship songs of all time, this next one is going to be really obscure. We've done a lot of episodes of Sound Opinions without ever once talking about television personalities. I think it's about time. This was one of Britain's longest running, from the New Wave era all the way up almost into the 90s, underground psychedelic pop groups. The one constant, the singer-songwriter Dan Treacy, they were very prolific, went through numerous lineup changes, never broke in a major way. There was one time, however, with one song where they made a pretty big ripple. The band was getting its chance to finally play for some big audiences. Again, there had been a lot of Pink Floyd psychedelic pop, early years Pink Floyd, Sid Barrett in their sound. And David Gilmour, who, you know, had replaced Barrett in Pink Floyd, invited them to open a tour. Treacy makes the mistake at one point of introducing this song, which they wrote as a pretty loving homage to Sid Barrett. I know where Sid Barrett lives by, I think he was a little inebriated, giving out Sid Barrett's address Uh in Cambridge. Barrett, you will recall, was the founder of Pink Floyd who suffered a combination of drug abuse and mental problems and withdrew to live a hermit-like existence in Cambridge. Not ever talking about music again, not ever playing music again from the 70s on, okay? Pink Floyd famously made Wish You Were Here and Shine On You Crazy Diamond about him. They were very protective of him, made sure he got his royalties and lived as comfortable as possible. Gilmore was infuriated that this guy, this young punk on stage, was giving out Sid Barrett's home address, Mm. basically inviting people to go bother the poor old madcap. However, if we go back to the song, I Know Where Sid Barrett Lives, there's a little man in a little house with a little pet dog and a little mouse. These are all references to Barrett lines. They were fans, television personalities. Mm. I think they regretted forever giving out Sid Barrett's address. Here is the song by television personalities on Sound Opinions. There's a little man In a little house With a little pet dog And a little pet mouse I know where he lives And I'll visit him We have Sunday tea Sausages and beans I know where he lives I know where Sid Barrett lives He was very famous Once upon a time And no one knows Even if he's alive But I know where he lives And I'll visit him In a little hut I know where he lives Cause I know where Sibara lives And the trees and the flowers are so pretty I Know Where Sid Barrett Lives from Television Personalities, a great song about hero worship, Jim, certainly. 
I'm going to go to the band The Hold Steady. Like Van Morrison, these guys' songs are just rife with references to music, and specifically the music that inspired them when they were growing up. It's amazing, that, that magical allure of hearing those great records for the first time at that kind of tender age when you're when you're really going from being a kid into adulthood those records stick with you the rest of your life and i love the way that the hold steady's craig finn uses these records as sort of a soundtrack for the songs that he's writing now so if you listen to any dozen hold steady songs you're going to hear references to to the music that inspired him to become a rock and roller in the first place this song that i'm going to play constructive summer opens with a reference to Iggy Pop's Lust for Life. You know, him and his buddies are sitting around in a dead-end town trying to figure out what their next move is, and they're drumming along to Lust for Life. And they're talking about the fact that, you know, we've got this dreary existence, but at the end of the day, the only person that's going to be able to help you get out of it is yourself. Let this be my annual reminder that we can all be something bigger, is what he says. And then he goes on in the last verse to hit you right between the eyes with the punchline. He says, Joe Strummer was the greatest teacher I ever had. Mm. I learned that lesson from listening to Clash Records. It's a beautiful moment and a beautiful song by The Hold Steady, Constructive Summer on Sound Opinions. Constructive Summer from the Hold Steady's fourth album, Stay Positive, here on Sound Opinions. 
After a break, more songs that pay tribute to musical heroes. And we'll review the latest record from some undisputed musical heroes themselves, the Rolling Stones. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And that is LCD Sound System with Daft Punk is playing at my house. A great example of hero worship. The theme of today's show, which we are defining as great musicians paying tribute to some of their musical heroes in song. And Greg, this is a classic. The next one I'm going to lay on you. We have interviewed Cheap Trick on the show. I have asked them. I've asked Rick Nielsen, what is this song about? And he just kind of smiles and laughs. It is an undeniable classic, Surrender. Not a hit when it originally came out, became a hit a few years later when they recorded it live at Budokan, a timeless tune, which you were speaking earlier about that tender age when you're right on the cusp between childhood and adulthood. Part of the mix is sexual confusion, Mm -hmm. all right, and beginning to contemplate whether you are attracted to or repelled by the things that adults do. This would include stumbling on your parents' rolling joints and rolling around (laughs) amorously on the couch, which sends the young Nielsen, or the stand-in in this song, running back to his room to pull his Kiss records out. He's not quite ready for that. A lot of advice here from the parents to the child about the mysteries of sex, and it's all kind of icky at that age, and the kid wants to stay a kid a little bit longer. That's my take on Surrender. Mm. In any event, Cheap Trick had toured with Kiss. Cheap Trick, I think, knew deep down it was much better as a band than Kiss ever could be. And I don't think this is entirely hero worship, but but certainly Kiss was huge at that point, and they get name-checked in this song. 
Here is Surrender by Cheap Trick on Sound Opinions. Surrender by Cheap Trick on Sound Opinions. Greg Cott, you got another hero worship song? I do, Jim, and I cannot get enough of Cheap Trick and Surrender. That is a great song every time I hear it. Another classic, a classic band, the Ramones. Jim, I can't think of any band that has had more songs written about them or tribute albums about them than the Ramones. Several bands have redone entire Ramones entire albums, albums in tribute. Yeah. Yes, and countless artists have cited them in interviews as, as a huge influence. I think for a certain generation of musicians, they were the equivalent of the Beatles. They certainly were for me. Growing yeah. up, I was like the first band. Talk about that transition from youth to adulthood. They were kind of a cartoon, but at the same time, they were deadly serious, and they wrote these great timeless pop songs that had a jokey element to them, but also this incredible melody and craftsmanship, and they have stood the test of time. Of all the tributes that have been out there to the Ramones, of all the hero worship songs about the Ramones, I think one of the very best is by Frank Black. Charles Thompson III, Black Francis of the Pixies, as he's otherwise known, I heard Ramona sing from his debut solo record as Frank Black back in the early 90s. 
And what's so beautiful about this song is I think that Frank used to write somewhat obliquely when he was with the Pixies, but in this song, he speaks to his deep love for this music and how it hit him. That first verse is fantastic. I had so many problems, and then I got me a Walkman. I really <laughs> liked it a lot, and they walked right in, and they solved them. The Ramones solved my problems. Here I am, this screwed-up, misguided kid, and I put the Ramones on my Walkman, and suddenly the world became clear to me again. I knew what I had to go out there and do. Frank Black, I heard Ramona sing on Sound Opinions. Frank Black from his 1993 solo debut album with I Heard Ramona Sing, a tribute to the Ramones on Sound Opinions. And a fine tune that was, Greg. You know, when you talk about hero worship, one of the first names that came to mind for me was Robin Hitchcock. He has written many fine songs about people in popular culture who he loved. Now, we decided to limit this show to hero songs about musicians. Otherwise, I'd be playing Raymond Chandler Evening, okay? (laughs) That's a song about a novelist. Hitchcock, though, on A Star for Bram, wrote a beautiful song called I Saw Nick Drake. Drake, of course, 
was the early 70s English folk rock artist who really wasn't discovered until the mid to late 90s, right? You Mm -hmm. know, career renaissance, very late on. We had Joe Boyd on the show, uh, producer of some of his records, you know, and it was a Volkswagen commercial that, that wound up making Drake a star. But when Drake recorded that final album, Pink Moon, he was so depressed, he literally could not stand erect in the studio, was laying in the dark on his back recording those songs and died soon afterwards, a suicide. Robin Hitchcock, in his usual way, pays loving tribute to this artist, who he clearly was devoted to, but then also inserts his absurdist humor in a very kind way. I think sometimes people think everything Hitchcock is singing is jokey, and it's not. I saw Nick Drake at the corner of time and motion. I caught his eye, and he caught mine. I said, you're tall. He said, no taller than tomorrow's ocean. I saw Nick Drake, and he was fine. I mean, what a wonderful thing. You know, in Nick Drake's music, it is not despairing music. It is music about struggling to find the brightness in life. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what Hitchcock is remembering. And Drake was. Drake was like 6'7 or something. And Hitchcock is very tall. You can just picture Robin meeting Nick Drake in some netherworld and saying, oh, ma, you're tall. (laughs) (laughs) I love this song. I saw Nick Drake by Robin Hitchcock on Sound Opinions. I saw Nick Drake At the corner of time and motion I caught his eye And he caught mine I said, you're tall He said, no taller than tomorrow's ocean I saw Nick Drake And he was fine And we're in blue I saw Nick Drake As we were carrying the ice together I saw his face The net was gone And all the strawberries of English weather I saw him pass Right through this place
I saw Nick Drake from Robin Hitchcock on Sound Opinions, a great hero worship song from uh, Jim DeRogatis there. Beautiful song about an artist who was unjustly overlooked for many, many years until people like Robin Hitchcock started talking about him, and in that case, writing a song about him. Hitchcock himself unjustly overlooked often. We forget that guy has written like 120 (laughs) songs that good. Exactly. Talking about a great songwriter, Stevie Wonder has written more great songs, I would argue, than any artist of the last half century. Certainly, there's others who are in that same level as him, but no one has outdone Stevie Wonder in terms of just timeless classic after timeless classic, and this is one of them. Stevie has a beautiful heart. I really think as a musician, he honors not only what's going on around him, he sees the world through his songs in a fascinating way. He has a great deal of empathy for the oppressed people in the world, but also for the people who have been forgotten. And they include a lot of the musicians that influenced him, that he, whose records he grew up with. And I think in the mid-70s, when he was making one of his classic albums, Songs in the Key of Life, really a celebration of music. I mean, Stevie had just survived a near-fatal accident, and he came back into making music with the idea that I am going to celebrate being alive and what it is about life that is worth celebrating, and that is music. In particular, the jazz music that he felt was fading from recognition in mainstream culture, and he wanted to recognize the great artists that had come before him and influenced his sound. So in Sir Duke, besides the title character, Sir Duke Ellington, that he named checks, there is also Count Basie, Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald, and somewhat incongruously, Glenn Miller. Mm. But we'll forgive him that one. The rest of the artists he's naming there are truly master, master jazz musicians. And he would record quite a bit as a solo artist, play all the instruments himself. But for this particular piece, he enlisted a nine-piece band to recreate that blazing big band sound that Basie and Ellington got on their great original recordings. And that horn part in this song, that horn climbing up those stair steps of notes on that chord, that is just one of the great horn riffs of all time as far as I'm concerned. The chorus, you can feel it all over. I mean, you can still hear people singing that, right? That is joy incarnate. It's Stevie Wonder celebrating Duke Ellington on Sir Duke on Sound Opinions. Just because the record has a groove 
Stevie Wonder with Sir Duke here on Sound Opinions. That wraps up our hero worship show, but as always, we want to hear from you. What are your favorite hero worshiping songs? Give us a call at 888-859-1800 or find us on Facebook or Twitter. Coming up after a short break, we review the 23rd album from the Rolling Stones, paying tribute to the band's blues heroes. And I've got a song commemorating another loss in the musical world, Sharon Jones, the real inheritor of the James Brown soul. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and that is Little Walter's Just Your Fool, as recorded by the Rolling Stones on their new album, Blue and Lonesome. You know, it's been quite a while, Jim, since we've seen anything new from these guys. 2005. 11 years since their last studio album. This is the first one since then. We were wondering if we would even see another studio album from the Rolling Stones. They have had quite a career. You could write a book about it. You and I once did. Hey, yeah, that's right. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, you know, Let's face it, they've been living off that legacy, early 60s through, say, 78, the Some Girls record, for decades now. Can I, um, can I do the math here? Go ahead. 14 years of brilliance, 64 mm-hmm. to 78. It has now been 37 years of, of coasting with one or two good songs, if that, on every album. They have now sucked almost three times as long as they were great. Well, and, and making more money than ever. So the three core members, uh, Mick Jagger... Uh, Keith Richards and Charlie Watts are all in their 70s. There was some question whether they would even record again. Lo and behold, they have. They're going back to where they started. They wanted to be a blues band out of Chicago when they came out of London in the early 60s. As uh, odd as that may sound, they loved the Chicago blues. They came to Chess Studios in Chicago three times during the 60s to record. Uh, But they have never made an entire album devoted to blues covers until this one. Heavy on uh, classic Chicago blues. Little Walter... Muddy Waters, Willie Dixon, Howlin' Wolf, all over this record. Uh, Here's a track from it. It's called Commit a Crime from Howlin' Wolf by the Rolling Stones on Sound Opinions.
That is Commit a Crime by the great Howlin' Wolf, as performed by the Rolling Stones rock and roll band, mm-hmm. Greg. Uh, Blue and Lonesome, I never thought I would say this sentence again, but this is a brilliant album. This is the first Rolling Stones album that is an absolute must-own since Some Girls in 1978, the first that is beginning to end great. Now, some people are quibbling with the production. It's a little uh, White Stripes kind of, you know, 2016. Uh, It's Mm. a little clean. Uh, I don't need Eric Clapton on here. He guests on two songs. I miss that they didn't call up Bill Wyman. Uh, You know, why not? Right. If if you're going back to your roots, uh, I would love to have had the Watts Wyman rhythm section again. But the Richards Wood guitar interplay on something like, uh, you know, Hate to See You Go, the little Walter track and 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 little rain. I mean, that's as good as it gets. These are quibbles, because the Stones' heart is in this. The Stones were dirtier, sexier, nastier, Chicago blues. They're going back to music that gets them excited. Now, we've seen them innumerable stadium tours over the last uh, 25 years. Uh, It's always disappointing that they play the same three dozen songs when they have 200 brilliant tunes that they could choose from. But we've seen the exceptional shows. Uh, The Aragon Ballroom, where where Keith decided to play six or seven songs in a row from Exile on Main Street and a bunch of Jimmy Cliff covers, right? The Double Door, small club, 250 capacity, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen them where they actually seem to be having fun, and Jagger, the graduate of London School of Economics, wasn't doing uh, the accounting payroll. Mm -hmm. Their hearts were in it. Their hearts are in it on this record. Jagger especially. You know, the harmonica and the vocals. I mean, I didn't think he cared about music at all anymore. I thought he only cared about his investment portfolio. It is it is inspiring to see these 70-something gentlemen uh, uh, actually having fun. It's a buy-it record. Yeah, it's a three-day recording session. Uh, the story goes that they were trying to record new music. They weren't getting anywhere. And they said, okay, let's just loosen up by playing some of these these songs that we love so much. Uh, they ended up recording an entire album of them. They were having such so much fun. Um, the Rehabilitation of Mick Jagger. Wow. This is that record. Everybody's been dissing this guy, including his own bandmate. Keith Richards <laughs> was dissing him big time in yeah. that uh, autobiography right, that he right, wrote right, right, a few right. years ago for being sort of out of it and not out of touch, you know, the businessman, you know, as, as opposed to outlaw Keith. Well, Jagger's bona fides as a harp player, a Chicago blues harp player who studied... Little Walter Records religiously when he was, uh, you know, a young man in London, uh, come through big time on this record. The other thing that I love about this record, uh, Charlie Watts seems to be having a ball. Oh. He is hitting that crash cymbal with a vengeance uh, like I haven't heard uh, in, in quite a while. Um, you know, there's a great description that Keith uh, writes in his uh, autobiography of what they were getting out of these great Chicago blues records. Um, the, uh, the Jimmy Reed rhythm section, the Muddy Waters band, they loved these bands. 
You're looking to distort things, basically. The sounds just melt into one another, and you've got that beat behind it, and the rest of it just has to squirm and roll its way through. (laughs) And that's what the band sounds like on this record. Recorded live on the floor. Don was basically just got out of the way, hit record. Uh, They sound great. It is a great Rolling Stones album. And like you, I thought I'd never be saying those words again. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible, we like to take a trip to the Desert Island and pop a quarter in the Desert Island jukebox to play a track we cannot live without. Jim, you're swimming out to the island as we speak. What do you got for us? Well, Greg, uh, we have to pay tribute to the late Sharon Jones. She died on November 18th. She'd been battling cancer for several years. 2016 will just not end. The uh, the parade of, of losses in the music world, it's just tragic. Sharon Jones, just a huge uh, figure in the neo-soul revival, born in Augusta, Georgia, but raised in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, what a voice. Uh, a gospel singer as a, as a kid uh, links up with these soul R&B revivalists uh, who eventually formed Daptone Records. You know, the Daptones become her backing band. As fine a band in this genre as we've heard since the Stax Volt studio mm-hmm. band, right? Uh, I think a lot of people, because they were rooted in a particular time and place and sound, would write them off as just revivalists. But to see the music uh, live and to hear the passion in Sharon Jones' voice on the recordings, you know, she grew up, her mom knew. Uh, Augusta was a small town. Her mom knew James Brown. She grew up mimicking first James Brown's dance moves in front of the (laughs) mirror and then trying to bring her own personality into what he did on stage. And I think she got there. There are any number of Sharon Jones uh, recordings we could play. I'm going to play one, though, that really epitomizes, I think, her uh, fight with cancer, Stranger to My Happiness. Very bravely, uh, she recorded a wonderful live performance video of this song that really, I think, epitomizes the magic that she had. Um, She refused to wear a wig. When she lost her hair because of chemotherapy, she said, you know, there are other people in this situation, and I'm not going to shy away from it. I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not. Uh, She lost her battle to cancer eventually, but I think the years where she was fighting the disease publicly were inspiring to many people. Her voice is always inspiring. On one level, Stranger to My Happiness is is a love song about somebody who screwed her over. On another, it's sort of a, a reckoning with mortality, not unlike Leonard Cohen's last mm-hmm. album. You know, I, I told her, never will I leave you, my love, but as soon as he's gone again, I'm flapping in the wind, wondering what must have been. Uh, I think these are uh, wonderful uh, words, and I think her voice is immortal. This is Sharon Jones, Stranger to My Happiness, my Desert Island jukebox pick on sound opinion. So many times there was a man who met a girl and took her hand. He told her, never will I leave you, my love. But just as soon as he's gone again, she's a flapping in the wind. Wondering what she must have been thinking of. She's a girl. I've been in and out so many doors. And 
Stranger to My Happiness by Sharon Jones and the Daft Kings. Sharon dead at the age of 60. My Desert Island jukebox pick. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Great choice on Sharon Jones, uh, Jim. I'm going to miss watching her perform live. Oh, man. Uh, the dance steps, as you mentioned. Yeah. She, was all, she was James Brown all the time up there. Next week we have a great show, Jim. Uh, I think our favorite show of the year, if yes. I'm not uh, exaggerating we too much. We live for this show. This is our best of 2016 show, our favorite albums of the year. Sound Opinions has been produced by Brendan Banaszek, Evan Chung, and Alex Claiborne. Hello, who's that speaking, please? <laughs> On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. This is Kenny Meyer from Boulder, Colorado. I enjoyed the turkey pardoning episode, and I wanted to call in with my submission. Um, a few years ago, watching Saturday Night Live, Miley Cyrus performed Wrecking Ball. heard all the buzz about the music video and was vaguely aware of Miley Cyrus as a pop culture figure, but really had no interest in discovering her music. And then, gotta say, I was pretty blown away by her performance on SNL. It uh, even inspired me to listen to that album, which I found 
unbearable. But I still hold that song as uh, one of the classic pop songs of the last uh, decade or so. You guys have a good one. Jim and Greg, my name's Matt. Love the show, but uh, calling on Thanksgiving Eve, driving back from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh with a heavy heart because I feel the wrong turkey was pardoned on the show last week. When Jim was teeing up a song by America, I was psyched because I was sure we were going to get that one redeemable America single, Sister Golden Hair. Then we got A Horse With No Name, which has always sounded like a kid's bop version of a, of a Neil Young tune. Sister Golden Hair at least has a sort of uh, rollicking sound. Plus, you have George Martin with a perfectly dumb production move of replaying the intro halfway through. It's a rare soft rock cut that's uh, endearing enough for a pardon. Anyway, love the show. Thanks for listening. Hey, Greg and Jim, this is uh, Gene out here in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, Fox River Grove. I wanted to give my vote for a turkey that needed to be pardoned. Um, this goes back to the 70s band Uriah Heep. I mean, these guys did a whole lot of uh, plotting music about demons and wizards and sorcerers and a lot of fantasy artwork on their albums, but they did do uh, uh, a couple tunes every once in a while that harkened back to their blue-collar roots in Birmingham, England. best example of that, in my opinion, is a song called Easy Living. This is a thing I've never known before It's called easy living This is a place I've never seen before And I've been forgiven Easy living And I've been forgiven Since you taken your place in my heart I mean, this had all the elements It had a driving distorted Leslie, pounding bass just a great rock and roll song from a from a band that didn't usually do that kind of stuff. Uh, doing a great job. Keep it up. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Jim and Greg. This is Conan from Pittsburgh. I enjoyed your show recently on pardoning musical turkeys, but I would offer two additions. One, although I could probably go the entire rest of my life without hearing the Eagles, James Dean from their On the Border album has a really darn good song. You were too fast to live, too young to die. Secondly, I couldn't agree more about Bush. It embarrasses me to have even a quarter inch of CD spine with their name on it in my collection. But the Steve Albini produced album, the ridiculously titled Razorblade Suitcase, contains one excellent song called Swallowed. I could do without the rest of their career, but this one's a keeper. Love the show, guys. Thanks for doing what you do. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.